Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being here. Two chapters tonight, chapters 8 and chapter 9. We're going to tackle both of them because they talk about the same subject. Before I get started, though, I want to give a disclaimer differently than normal. Uh, and the disclaimer is what I'm going to ask of you tonight is important. And I'm going to ask that you listen with mature ears because some topics we need to talk about tonight take maturity. Uh, not immaturity. Even if you've not been born again a while, I ask that your ears would still at least listen and take to heart what I share. And as I always say, I never ask you to believe like I believe or your opinions to be my opinions. I simply put it out there and then I let you work it out with the Holy Spirit. Uh, so maturity tonight will be critical because what I feel like I want to talk about is going to cause us to have to, to talk about some hard things. First off, the hard things of holiness. We cannot start to discuss what's coming without talking about holiness. When we talk about holiness, we end up talking about our own personal issues, our sins, our weaknesses, our past failures. And here's the maturity that I would ask. When I'm talking about things tonight that may be personal to you, your sins, my sins, our failures, I want you to hear it coming from me as a pastor that I love you. I understand we all have a past. I've got one too. I mean, we've all, we all have our regrets. But at the same time, this house is a great place for you to be because we offer much grace to you. And I'm not preaching it or teaching it tonight to put you into condemnation. If I talk about a certain sin or a certain thing that's out there that I believe is going to be propagated in the end time and, and that that it makes you feel guilty if that's you or you were that way because I would love to introduce you to the blood of Jesus and go, you're forgiven. Number two, it is impossible, in my opinion, to go further than tonight and not have to talk about politics and religion. The sad thing about that is we're right in the middle of politics in America. And so I will talk about the Democrats tonight and the Republicans tonight. I ask your maturity to be, I really don't care who you voted for. It's America. You go to the polls and you cast a ballot and you feel glad that you're an American and you have freedom. Uh, but neither do I want you to, to think that I'm promoting a certain uh, political party, uh, even my preference. I have my own preferences. I have which agenda and platform I like better. But I'm going to talk about both tonight. So if you're a Republican, grow up. If you're a Democrat, grow up. And we're going to talk about it because the end is politics and religion merge themselves together. And what you're seeing happen right now in front of you is a precursor because what we see now is politics has overridden religion and many Christians can't even agree because of politics. And so Christian and Christian friends are splitting because one voted for Trump and one voted for Biden, so they split. And they go their separate ways. I can't believe you could vote for Biden. I cannot believe you would vote for Trump. Oh, my God, he's this. Oh, my God, he's that. How dare you never talk to me again. That has to happen. So if you think this is just about Trump and Biden, that's an immature thinking. This is about politics and religion starting to come together to move us toward Revelation 13, which is the system of government and religion that the Antichrist will set up, and it's very much one of religion and politics. You don't worship me, you don't eat, you don't get the economy, I kill you, chop your head off. So that's why I asked for maturity tonight, because I understand we're in an election, I understand one party's fighting the other party, and who's right, who's wrong, who's going to stand as our president uh, in January 2020. Uh, 2021 and so I just ask you to listen well and and listen with mature ears and take great notes and I will do my best to tell you why I say the things I say tonight scripturally so let's look at chapters 8 and chapters 9 we're going to tackle uh, all both chapters but they're pretty simple so I'm not going to spend a lot of time in chapter 8 and 9, because you can just read it, and it's pretty simplistic. It's just trumpet 1 is this, trumpet 2 is that. We're going to be talking about the seven trumpets. But I want to spend the majority of my time talking about the first few verses 
that cause us to understand these trumpets that are about to come and why. So here's something that's been very critical to us. This was last week, but I need to just say it again to get it in your heart. There's this thought that rebellion deserves wrath, and we talked about the lamb on the cross versus the lamb with the scroll. The lamb with the scroll is the book of Revelation. The lamb on the cross is basically the gospels through the epistles. And uh, we basically get this Jesus, the Jesus with the cross. But this, this is the question tonight that I really want to hold on to and, and pull it out as we go into the seven trumpets. Because as I said two classes ago in Revelation 6, this is the trumpets are the second wave of the wrath of God. So now we're really going to talk about them more, though we touched on them two, two chapters ago. The seven trumpets were the second wave of the wrath. But here's the question, why would a loving God bring such judgment and destruction on the very humans he is said to love? Why are we about to read some of the worst chapters in the Bible that it appears like God's awfully ticked with humans and he's sick of them? And why, if he's such a loving God, is is he going to do this? Is he going to allow this? Some people say he allows it to happen, but I believe the wrath of God is him not allowing it. It's him doing it. Here's a scripture that will come in handy later. Day after day and night after night, they, the angels, keep on saying, Revelation 4.8, here's what they say in a trinity. Holy, holy, holy. I believe that's for the trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. I believe that's why it's in threes, is the Lord God Almighty and then another third, the one who always was, who is, and then I highlighted the phrase who is to come because this is what we're teaching now, this who is to come. But the holy, holy, holy is in relationship to the lamb that was before the foundation of the earth, the lamb that is, the one that's crucified on the cross, and the lamb that is to come. So the holy, holy, holy who was, lamb that was crucified before the foundation of the earth was, the lamb that is, the one that came in the flesh and hung on a cross and died for you, holy, and the lamb that who is to come is still going to accomplish a work of holiness. All three of them, a holy, 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 lamb who was before the foundation of the earth, the end result was holiness. When the creation was ended in day seven and God said it is done, it is good, it was a perfect holy creation. There was nothing sinful about it. And that work of the Lamb of God, the wisdom of God in the beginning was holy. So let's look at the thought of it uh, in the three there because this is kind of going to answer the question of why such judgment? Why is there coming such a travesty of judgment on the earth? The holy who was is, remember, wrath deserves rebel, rebellion deserves wrath. The lamb that was before there was ever an earthly creation slain for the foundation, that wrath was poured out on Satan before Adam was ever here. So even when Lucifer attempts to sin and rebel, that rebellion is met with the wrath of God. Lucifer's booted out of heaven, and that was before Adam. When Adam comes, we have still the main goal is holy. God never let go of this term of holy. It's the holy, the who is, the Jesus who is, the Jesus that will hang on a cross, that will take the sin of the world upon his back. And the wrath that time wasn't put on Satan, it was put on the Son. And the wrath was put on Jesus, the Son. And that was done for Adam. So the wrath on Satan was put, because rebellion deserves wrath, before Adam, and that was to accomplish a holy thing. The second, the sin of Adam, the wrath was put on the holy who is, was put on the son at the cross, and that was to take care of the sin of Adam. It was done for Adam. But Revelation is is introducing us to a new work of Jesus that really kind of throws us for a loop, because if we're not careful... We try to keep the Jesus on the cross as the same Jesus that's showing up in Revelation. Yes, he's the same in essence. He's the son of God. 
but his work is one of wrath that's not upon the cross through his obedience, but it's through the scroll of his obedience to own it, as we talked about before. And that is the Lamb, the Holy, who is to come. And this is where it gets ugly because now it's wrath on the kingdom. And by the kingdom, I mean the kingdom of men and the kingdom of Satan. For everyone that's ever rejected the wrath that was put on the Son, now the wrath is going to come on the kingdom of men. It's going to come upon their, their, their homes, their children, their health, their money, everything they've ever worked for. God is totally going to strip it from them. Their health will be gone, their finances will be gone, their homes will be gone, their children will be plundered, their wives will be plundered, their lives will be plundered because they've rejected the wrath that went to the Son. And now this Jesus, the Holy who is to come, is, watch now, he's not doing it because he's ticked at us. He's doing it because now he desires to dwell with Adam. And he cannot dwell with us when sin is here. So he has to purify the earth from sin because his holiness will not allow him to hang out with humans who are unholy. This is why Father God doesn't even come to earth until the end of the thousand-year millennial kingdom because there's still people on the planet who are not holy. They've been allowed in... They're ruling and reigned over by us. They're the nations of the earth. They're going to be led off by Satan when he's loosed. We'll look at all this to come. But the Father doesn't come down until chapter 21 and 22 when the heavenly comes down. And in that moment, the earth has been purified from all things evil. There is no sin here anymore. There's nothing but holiness. The whole planet's been purified with blood. We've seen that. The, all the oceans purified with blood. The rivers purified with blood. Uh, humans' blood has been shed everywhere before the Father ever comes. Now, he's not doing that because he's ticked at us. He's doing it because holiness has to have blood to be purified. So even though it's going to look like, oh my God, God is just destroying the very planet he created, that's true. From my vantage point, he's destroying it because everything's dead and blood's flowing everywhere. But from his vantage point, he's purifying it so he can have a home and dwell with us. So though ugly, what we're about to read is very ugly, it has a very holy intention to it. And that's why I said tonight I'm going to say things that may sting a bit because holiness stings humanity. It's never fun to talk about it. Because we get into the judgment. So the question is, again, why would a loving God bring such judgment and destructions on the very humans he said to love? Well, let's pull it out. Revelation 21, 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. Watch this. God himself will dwell with them. So this is the end result of Revelation. The end result of Revelation isn't just so God can go, check mark, I killed all these humans. I'm so much bigger than them. This is a great ego trip for me. The reason he did it is because he desires himself to dwell with us. He's been in a box, but he's never dwelt with us. He came to us in the Son, and the Son dwells in us by the Spirit, but the Father does not live with us. But his desire, now watch, this is weird. It kind of goes way against typical Christian theology. His desire is not for me to be in heaven. His desire is for him to be here with me. If the desire was that I would go be with him in heaven, there would be no need to purify the earth. There would be no need for the plagues. He would just pull us all up with him and then annihilate everybody. But that's why when the church is brought up to him, he doesn't just annihilate everybody because what he's doing is he's purifying the house so we can all come back. He's getting the house down here ready so we can all come back and he can dwell with me, me and the Heavenly Father living together forever. And so to do that, there's several scriptures. He says, Then he who sat on the throne, this is the end of Revelation, verse 5, 21 verse 5. He said this, Behold... I make how much new? 
Yeah, so, so as we start reading about this wrath that is to come in, in chapters 8 and 9, these trumpet judgments, as I said, are very difficult, horrible. And, and if we just look at it as, oh my gosh, it's such a destruction. Why? Because my why would he do something so horrible is because he's really doing something so incredible. He's making something brand new. We've totally destroyed it. And he's coming in to redo it and to make it brand new. So his desire, why would, why would a God that's so loving have such judgmental, wrathful things? Because he desires to live with me. And he desires not only to live with me, but he desires to make all things new. This verse gets even better. Here's the answer to that. The wrath of God. So the question is, why would he do it? Here's the answer. The wrath of God will be poured out upon humans and the kingdom of Satan because God desires to dwell with humans. And that dwelling place, earth, must be made completely holy for God to do such. God cannot dwell with us on the earth if the earth is not holy. The wrath of God, I'll read it again, the wrath of God will be poured out upon humans and ki the kingdom of Satan because God's desi God desires to dwell with humans and that dwelling place, earth, must be made completely holy for God to do such. So this thought that you and I are going to live in heaven forever is, is false. Heaven comes to earth and God lives here forever. I didn't get one amen out of that. That kind of hurt my feelings. Like you don't care, your, your father's coming home. Okay, we'll move on. Here's the next thought. I thought that'd get a lot more help than that. It's like, I don't want dad to come home. I don't know. Here it is. There's the thought. Revelation isn't simply about God's wrath, which is oftentimes what it is. 666, who's the Antichrist? Oh my God, it's such a dirty, evil, horrible book. It's not just about God's wrath upon sin, sinful humanity. It's completely about the purification of all creation by blood. Making all things holy so God can once and for all dwell with humans. So when we read about the entire oceans became blood and all the sea creatures died, the rivers became blood, the, the lakes become blood, the streams become blood. And when we get into the final battle of Armageddon and the blood runs the horse's bridle deep for 200 miles. And that's the blood of thousands and millions of humans are annihilated and their blood flows. Why so much blood? Because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. There's no holiness without blood. Here's the purpose. He says, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which you can't even see me. So, he, so the way we kind of do this is you better quit smoking and chewing tobacco or you'll never go to heaven. That's kind of the way it's presented in Christianity. You better stop doing all your little dirty stuff. Don't say a cuss word because you might not be holy enough and you might not get to heaven. I'm not against that. I'm not saying that our character and our actions don't matter. But what I'm saying is it's so much deeper than that because without holiness you won't see him. Why? Because he won't even come to you. He won't even get near you. If he does, you die. If, he even, if the Father even gets near you, you die. The only thing holding back his wrath is the Son. It's the Son that says, don't kill them because all the wrath has been put upon me. But when that Son steps up and says, but now I'm going to do the work of my Father to purify this so me and the Father can dwell with these humans who call us their own, well, we've got to do that with blood. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct because it is written, Be holy for I am holy. In other words, this wrathful thing that's coming in the book of Revelation, I rarely hear people talk about it because I, even I myself am guilty. I just want to know the bad stuff. Like, when will the devil come? Who's the Antichrist? What will he do? rather than really saying what God is doing is moving us toward holiness. I, and, the, and I think the devil just loves to get the glory. I think the devil's excited that we've made revelation about him. I think he loves that. 
I think he loves, yeah, y'all keep trying to figure out 666 and forget there's a father that's wanting you to be holy. Here's an opinion, so I'm I'm putting it out there. I think what you're going to see in God's people in the next year to five is there's going to come a hunger for holiness and there's going to come a hunger for carnality. And there's going to be a split in the house of God to those who become more carnal, more lazy, more apathetic, more fleshly, And there's going to be another group that begins to repent and run hard after God. Not so he loves them more, but because the spirit of holiness begins to let them. Why do you think it's called the Holy Spirit? So we can pray in tongues? It's called the Holy Spirit because he makes me holy. Uh, Pentecostals, it said, it's so you can speak in tongues, but it's so I could be made holy. So I, my opinion is you're going to see a vast gap come. I think it's already here because I already see the body of Christ splitting. And you say, Mark, how do you see the body of Christ splitting? We've always split between who smokes cigarettes and who doesn't and who, what side of the body can drink. If you're Baptist, you can't drink. If you do, you need to hide it. If you're Pentecostal, you drink, you go to hell. If you're Catholic, you just drink and have a good time. So uh, we've always divided on that. What if, though... What if, just by some weird chance, the split coming down the body is one of politics? Because it has to be this way. The people of God that begin to gender toward politics that fit what I want it to fit for me in my personal life versus the people that are running after the church going... I want to run after the politics and I don't care what it fits my life, but it fits what God's kingdom is after. And if you don't think that's true right now, it is very true even in our country. You have the true Christians are the ones that are fighting to keep Trump in so we don't have abortion. And the fake Christians are all the ones that voted for Joe Biden's agenda of the Democrats who've murdered over 60 million babies. And then we just fight over that. Well, who's really the real Christian? And I think this has to happen. Because what we're understanding is politics is dividing Christianity. My political preferences far outweigh my kingdom preferences. And then I even say things like this, because I've been doing a lot of polls lately. Does God care who you vote for? And it is amazing how many spirit-filled Christians say, no, he doesn't care. Maybe he does. Well, does he care more about Joe or does he care more about Don? Oh, God, here we go. Both seem very wicked. No, both seem great. One's better than the other. And then we argue. I'm going to teach you that tonight of what I think is happening. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, have boldness to enter the holiest by, here it is, the blood of Jesus. So when we read all these wrathful things that are starting to come about in these seven trumpets, know this, it's not that God's ticked, it's that God is purifying His house. He's about to come home with His children and He wants the house clean. I'll just throw this out there. In a weird way, He just cleans house differently than we do. We clean house going, it's okay, He loves you. He cleans house going, it's not okay. So that's kind of where we are. Here's a scripture, the final one. Hebrews 10, 29 through 31. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who've trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were a common and unholy And have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge. I will pay them back. He also said, the Lord will judge his own people. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's not, it's terrible because he's mean. It's terrible because he just gets pleasure squashing you. It's terrible to fall in his hands because if you're not holy, you get a worse punishment. And that's the terrible part of it. You get the worst punishment. You agree with that? So let's go to Hebrews 
I mean Hebrews, Revelation chapter 8 now. Because as we get into the trumpets, there is a passage of Scripture that has thrown me for a loop for probably 30 years. And I've tried my best to understand it, even up to the, this morning going, God, I just need you to talk to a brother because i got to say something about it tonight. So let's jump right in, and we're going to do a lot of traveling, okay? So we're, we're about to do a lot of traveling through your Bible, so get it out, because what, what we're going to do is take some hard left turns and go into the Old Testament prophets and begin to make sense out of chapter 8, Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal on the scroll, there was silence throughout heaven for about a half an hour. I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and they were given seven trumpets. I meditated on this verse all week long. I kind of felt like maybe the trumpets were a little easier. They are what they say they are. But this has always thrown me for a loop because Revelation 4 that I just read said, Day and night, without ceasing, the angels sing and cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the earth. But four chapters later, I get nobody saying a thing. And that bothers me that the holiness of God, who is so holy that they can't quit saying it, suddenly nobody's saying a thing. Nobody's talking about His holiness. Nobody's shouting. Nobody's singing. Nobody's worshiping at His throne. They're silenced for about a half an hour. I tried to even run that, like why, but that just got too deep, so I decided not to go that deep. But I want to talk about why there's silence to prepare you for what is to come. And this might be where I gave the precursor at the beginning, it stings a mite. The silence in heaven, if the angels proclaim God's holiness day and night never ceasing, why the sudden silence? To understand why the silence, we need to go hard left into the Old Testament chapters of the Minor Prophets to a book called Zephaniah. So if you don't know where it's at, concordance, find Zephaniah. Or just go to Matthew and do a hard left, and about three books in, you'll bump into Zephaniah. It's almost to the end of the Old Testament. It's only three chapters long, but for those of you that love to read the Bible, I would suggest reading it this week because it is eye-opening to what we're going through right now in, in our world. Now, I'm going to read the whole chapter from the New Living Translation, so I'm just going to read the whole chapter, and then I won't, after I read it, I'm going to hop to some other prophets. So we're going to do a lot of hopping to different prophets for a moment. And then I'm going to take all of that hopping and I'm going to lay it out real neatly for you to define why is there silence as we get ready to go into these trumpets. Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 1. The Lord gave this message to Zephaniah when Josiah son of Ammon was king of Judah. Zephaniah the son of Cushi, the son of Gadaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah. This is the coming judgment now. So start thinking Revelation, but Zephaniah is prophesying way to the future. So Zephaniah, in my opinion, is about to prophesy all the way into what John is going to be seeing in Revelation. Let's read verse 2. I will sweep away, this is God, I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, says the Lord. I will sweep away people and animals alike. I will sweep away the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea. I will reduce the wicked to heaps of rubble, and I will wipe humanity from the face of the earth, says the Lord. I will crush Judah and Jerusalem with my fists and destroy every last trace of their Baal worship. I will put an end to all the idolatrous priests so that even the memory of them will disappear. For they go up to their roofs and they bow down to the sun, the moon, and the stars. They claim to follow the Lord, but then they worship Molech too. And I will destroy those who used to worship me but now no longer do. They no longer ask for the Lord's guidance or seek my blessings. Stand in silence in the presence of the sovereign Lord. For the awesome day of the Lord's judgment is near. 
The Lord has prepared His people for a great slaughter and His chosen their executioners. On the day of judgment, says the Lord, I will punish the leaders and the priests of Judah and all those following pagan customs. Yes, I will punish those who participate in pagan worship ceremonies and those who fill their master's houses with violence and deceit. On that day, says the Lord, a cry of alarm will come from the fish gate and the echo throughout the new quarter of the city and a great crash will sound from the hills. Wail in sorrow, all of you who live in the market area, for all the merchants and the traders will be destroyed. I will search with lanterns in Jerusalem's darkest corners to punish those who sit complacent in their sins. They think the Lord will do nothing for them, nothing to them, either good or bad. So their property will be plundered. Their homes will be ransacked. They will build new homes but never live in them. They will plant vineyards but never drink wine from them. That terrible day of the Lord is near. Swiftly it comes. A day of bitter tears. A day when even strong men will cry out. It will be a day when the Lord's anger is poured out. A day of terrible distress and anguish. A day of ruin and desolation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and blackness. A day of trumpet calls and battle cries. Down go the walled cities and the strongest battlements. Because you have sinned against the Lord, I will make you grope around like the blind. Your blood will be poured into the dust and your bodies will be rotting on the ground. Your silver and gold will not save you on that day of the Lord's anger for the land will be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. He will make a terrifying end to all the peoples of the earth. You feel like if you're post-trib, you're going to make it? No. But I want you to look at something in verse 7. Stand in silence in the presence of the sovereign Lord. For the awesome day of the Lord's judgment is near. He's prepared for his people for a great slaughter. The reason heaven goes silent is God is about to slaughter all the remaining people on the earth. And there's nothing to rejoice about. There's nothing else to say except the time has come. I would like to read something that I said a moment ago about politics in our nation. Uh, it's in verse 5. For they go to the rooftops and bow down to the sun, the moon, and the stars, and they claim to follow the Lord. Now listen, this is, this is critical. But they worship Molech too. Now this is a profound thing if, if we really believe we wrestle against principalities and we're not wrestling against political parties. God says to the prophet Zephaniah that my children claim to worship me and to know me, but at the same time they worship Molech. Molech was a pagan god. And people would come and bring their sacrifices to Molech and they would worship Molech as the same time they would claim to worship God. It doesn't seem too meaningful to us today because we don't have a Molech uh, god, an idol. The idol was kind of a large stone metal idol with hands like this that were laid out and you would lay the sacrifice on the idol with a fire burning in it. But to understand the importance of what is going on and why God brings this into the day of judgment is not because the main idol of Melech may be around on the planet, but the spirit of Melech will still be here. The same spirit that was working in the Old Testament to pull away God's people, worshiping him, but at the same time worshiping Melech and seeing no problem with it, that same spirit is prophesied by Zephaniah that in the coming judgment of the Lord, that spirit of Melech will still be on the planet, meaning the demon and I don't know what you believe about demonology, but just because a generation passes don't mean that demons stop. They, if you believe in it, they just attach to the next generation and come down. We would call it a generational curse. 
my dad was an alcoholic, I'm an alcoholic, my kid's an alcoholic. Well, genetically, science may prove that's true, but spiritually, a demon can be that was on your grandfather can come to the father, can be passed down to the children, and that devil follows through the generations. It's why you can, you can see problems all the way back to great-great-grandfathers are manifesting in children and it's not just because granddaddy, daddy, 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 all the way down to uncle to them. It's that the spirit has followed that family because it's been allowed to follow the family. Fear, anxiety, sicknesses, diseases. So Zephaniah prophesies that this coming judgment, there will be a worship of God, but at the same time, a worship of Melech. And thus, the great day of the Lord's judgment is coming, and it'll be kind of a generation. Well, to understand how would Melech um, even mean something to us today, it, it's defined in who Melech was, and Melech was the god of child sacrifice. You would, you would bring your children to him, and you would burn them alive. The rabbinical teaching said that there were seven cauldrons of ovens inside the statue. And they would bring flour, turtle doves, a lamb, a goat, an ox, a cow, and a baby. And they would put all of them in the oven, each in their categories, and then light a fire, and they would bake them all alive. So while they're still alive... Uh, you could hear the baby screaming, the goat screaming. So what they would do to stop the screams for the father, this is in rabbinical literature, to stop the father who brought the kid to sacrifice from hearing it, they would beat drums real loud and play music real loud to drown out the screaming of children that are being burned alive. Now, as grotesque as that is, right? I mean, that you would bring your child that's alive, lay it into the hands of an idol, and watch it be burned alive and have to just go from the screams, I go now to that same spirit has attached itself to our country. Because the spirit of abortion is the spirit of Malek. Now, if you've had an abortion, God forgives you, right? I mean, we all do things we regret. But I want you to understand that this thing that came into our country in Roe versus Wade that's now so critical with Christians... Uh, you know, when we were, oh, Amy Coney Barrett, she's going to get in and overturn Roe versus Wade. Yay! And then a whole other group of Christians, you've got to be kidding me. We can't overturn Roe versus Wade. We need to have abortions because if we don't have abortions available, they'll just get into the street. We need to have a way that girls that get raped and all just don't go in the street in a back alley and get themselves raped. And then you got another group of people going, oh my God, you can't believe in abortion. you got to be kidding me. We can't be sacrificing babies. Well, it's really not even a baby. It doesn't even feel it yet, you know, up to six weeks, eight weeks. And now we just are in this since the 1970s, this craziness of abortion. To where now it's not even abortion. It's just a choice. It doesn't even sound dirty anymore. It's just pro-choice versus pro-life. Why? Because Malek cannot let you know that he's on our planet murdering 68 million children have been laid into the spirit of Malek so that he can take the lives of baby kids and destroy them off the planet. While mothers pay the price, fathers pay the price, grandparents pay the price, all in the name of, I feel embarrassed, I feel guilty, I couldn't do it, I couldn't afford it. And if you've done it before, and we, and we do, we have some here that have gone through abortions, I've talked to them. That's why I said you got to be mature tonight, because I'm not putting you down. I'm not saying I'm mad at you, and I'm not saying for you to feel bad. If you've had an abortion, of course Jesus forgives you. Of course Jesus doesn't hold it against you. But neither should it mean that I don't turn and go, there is a spirit in our country that's working, that we're putting children into the fire and avoiding their screams because we can't hear them in the womb when they're grabbing their parts and ripping them out and then throwing them in a trash bag and then sending them off to the dump. And then we call it abortion. We call it abortion, but God calls it the spirit of Malek. Now, here's the problem. I don't care who you voted for. You want to go blue, go blue. You want to go red, go red. Do whatever. I personally, I have a hard time attaching myself to a political party that check marks off 
we approve of abortion. I just have a hard time with it. I'm not putting you down if you do it. I just say for me to stand there and go, I'm, I'm going to vote for the Democrats. And yes, there's some great things about their politics I'm okay with. But I just can't put my check mark because I so can't stand the way Trump tweets on agreeing that a spirit of Malek is okay to work in my country. You don't have to believe like me. I don't care. I mean, I don't. At the same time, it doesn't mean if I vote Trump that I'm just yay for him too. Go for it, buddy. You must be God's choice. I'm just sitting here going, if I have a choice to vote for Malek or I have a choice to vote for the carnality of human, I'll just take a carnal human right now. And if the carnal human party, this red, decides to check Mark off, I'm not voting for either of them. I'm just going to say, sorry, I'm not going to put my check mark on a demonic spirit that works because I think they have a better tax plan, a better health plan. And so, you know, that's why I said you just got to be mature tonight. I'm not trying to put you down. I hope you hear my heart. But this whole Democrat-Republican thing that's splitting God's people right now. There's people that can't even talk in the same room because somebody voted for Trump and somebody voted for Biden. I, I, I just will throw this out. Let's leave Trump out of it. Let's leave Biden out of it. Let's leave which one has the better platform and which one has the better party. Let's just ask, do you think the God of heaven is okay with 68 million children being murdered because we checked it off in the legislative system, then I would leave it there and let you pick it. Listen to this scripture. Zephaniah chapter 3. I thought, surely, this is God, they will have reverence for me now. Surely they will listen to my warnings Then I won't need to go strike again, destroying their homes. But no, they get up early to continue their evil deeds. Therefore, be patient, says the Lord. Soon I will stand and accuse these evil nations. For I have decided to gather the kingdoms of the earth and pour out my fiercest anger and fury on them. And all of the earth will be devoured by the fire of my jealousy. That's weird, that line, the fire of my jealousy. I'll I'll let you study that one. That is a strange line. Not necessarily the fire of my anger, but my jealousy. Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 31 and 32. They have built pagan shrines at Topheth. That's Melech. That's the God. The garbage dump in the valley of Ben-Himon. And there they burn their sons and daughters in the fire. I'm just going to say something. Every little baby they abort and they carry off its body parts and we never know what they do with them. Put them in a bag, burn them in a call. I don't know. What they do with all the baby parts. Sell them. Whatever they do. Listen to this. This is, this is a prophet. Not me. This is not my politics coming out. They burn their sons and daughters and I've never commanded such a horrible deed. It never crossed my mind to command such a thing. So even though we've legalized the killing of babies, even though we said you can legally take an eight-month-old child, even though you don't go to prison for it, even though we say it's okay for you to go, and some states are even kind of trying to push the limit now into nine months and maybe some even to a little after-birth abortion. After the kid is here, we can let it die if it didn't make it. They're kind of pushing hard for that. That's why they hated Amy Coney Barrett. You know, I don't know if you watched all that. They couldn't stand the fact she was pro-life. Seven, six, seven kids hated the fact. It's not that they hate her. It's just they hate anybody that's going to go against a system of Molech that's running our country. They're going to hate anybody. Anybody that tries to stop the sacrificial right of children offered up under the name of Malek that has changed his name to abortion, something's wrong. God says, it's never crossed my mind. And that would be true. I would say it didn't cross his mind. It crossed our nation's mind in the 70s and we passed it. So beware, he says, for the time is coming when that garbage dump will no longer be called Topheth or the Valley of Ben-Hernon, but the Valley of Slaughter. They will bury the bodies in Topheth where there is no more room for them. 
Jeremiah 13, 8, same time, period of time. Then I received this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. This shows you how I will rot away the pride of Judah and Jerusalem. These wicked people refuse to listen to me. They stubbornly follow their own desires and worship other gods. There's that jealousy. Therefore, they will become like the loincloth, good for nothing. Now, when the God that makes a group of humans calls us good for nothing, I don't think he's happy. <laughs> Do you? Amen. We may feel good about ourselves in America right now. Look at where we're headed and all the stuff we're trying to pass to make us a better country, but I don't think God's too giddy. Therefore, Isaiah 5, 24, just as fire licks up the stubble and dry grass shrivels in the flame, so their roots will rot, their flowers wither. For they've rejected the law of the Lord of heaven's armies. They've despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. That is why the Lord's anger burns against His people and why He's raised His fist to crush them. All of these prophets I just read are speaking about this judgment that is coming in the book of Revelation that we're about to read. It's been prophesied. These spirits that have worked in the Old Testament these spirits of perversions that have worked, these spirits of child sacrifice have just shown up in our generation smart enough to have different names. We, we would not dare go take a child and lay it on a stone altar and build a fire and listen to the kids scream out loud. We, we, our, our human brains couldn't even fathom that. But if you've ever studied abortion, the screams of a child in the womb and how they fight over that. Can the kid feel it? Can the kid not? It's just a, it's, it's the same spirit. We just call it something different. So let's explain the silence. I read enough scriptures that I think we could explain why heaven went silent for nearly 30 minutes. Why would heaven go silent for nearly 30 minutes? The silence in heaven is in a direct reference to humans, number one, being slaughtered and their rotting flesh. We're going to go quiet for a minute because the Father is about to bring the wrath. But in just a minute, something's shifting. Number two, it's because you claim to worship God, but you really worship yourself. Number three, there's silence because they're sitting complacent in their sins and I'm about to judge them. And I would say I feel pretty certain we're living in a generation right now of complacency towards sin. We just say things like, oh, don't worry about it. It's okay. Be you. Do you. And we've become very complacent. And number four, they literally think God's going to do nothing. He's been so long in coming, He probably won't ever do a thing and we can get away with it. We won't get away with it. It may not happen in my lifetime or your lifetime, but humans will not get away with it. And so before it really gets down to these seven blasts of trumpets that are going to begin to bring devastation on the earth and the creatures and the humans and the rebellious. There's a moment of silence. And I believe to honor Zephaniah 1 that said, verse 7, stand in silence for the coming wrath of the Lord is near. My belief is in heaven, this is just my opinion, before the trumpet sounds, the first trumpet Heaven stands up to honor the prophet Zephaniah that prophesied and they stand in silence because they know the next thing that is coming is the wrath of the Lord. And it said, stand in silence and prepare for the coming wrath of the Lord. The silence quickly ends because as the silence ends, the scriptures come. Another angel with gold incense burned came and stood at the altar. Revelation 8, we're back there again, verses 3 through 6. And a great amount of incense was given him to mix with the prayers of God's people as an offering on the gold altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense mixed with the prayers of God's holy people 
ascended up to God from the altar where the angel had poured them out. Then the angel, verse 5, filled the incense burner with the fire from the altar and threw it down upon the earth. You notice how now we don't have silence. The thunder crashed, the lightning flashed, and there was a terrible earthquake. I don't know what will be going on on earth in that moment of silence in heaven. But it must be profound enough that heaven goes silent before, you know, maybe there's chaos going on down here. My belief is they go silent to honor the word of the Lord. It's a moment of honor about what he's going to do. Verse 6, and this is where we're going to end tonight, and I encourage you to read the two chapters because they self-explain themselves. But I'm going to try to tell you why I think the trumpet was important as we close. Then, verse 6, the seven angels with the seven trumpets prepared to blow their mighty blast. I want to take a minute and tell you why I think God chose seven trumpets. So what we go from is a period of silence that says, stand in the honor of God for His wrath is about to come. And then the next moment is a throwing down of incense and prayers of the saints. And then there comes an earthquake with flashes and then seven trumpets begin to sound in succession. We're going to... We're going to talk about all seven just briefly, but you can read them all. I've already talked about it in, in Revelation 6. But to understand why God would choose a trumpet, you've got to go back to the Old Testament to Ezekiel 33, if you will. Ezekiel 33. Because God is going to honor His own Word. How many of you know God's always honoring His Word? How many of you know even when he speaks it thousands of years back, he never forgets it in the future? Not one word he ever spoke will ever go unmentioned. So God always, now watch, if he has something for you, Leslie, and puts it on you, you can better know that God himself will honor his own self to it. He would never ask something of you that he himself wouldn't honor. So when he says to you, Gary, you owe me blood or you die, he says, don't worry about it, Gary. I so know how important that is. I'm just going to become you and die for you and shed own blood. So he understands. So why does he pick trumpets now to be the succession point of all these terrible things that are coming? Ezekiel 33.1 Once again, a message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, give your people this message. When I bring an army against a country, the people of that land choose one of their own to be a watchman. When a watchman sees the enemy coming, he sounds an alarm to warn the people. Then if those who hear the alarm, and, and one version says, uh, the New King James says, trumpet. And those who hear, the, matter of fact, I'm just going to shift versions real quick. Those who hear the trumpet, so let me go back to verse 2. When he sees the sword coming up on the land, verse 3 now, he blows the trumpet, New King James Version, and warns the people. And then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but he did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But he who takes warning will save his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes away any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. Now, son of man, verse 7, I'm making you a watchman for the people of Israel. Listen to what I say. The reason God chose the trumpet is the trumpet was a prophetic signal given to Ezekiel of a warning. That if I blow the trumpet, it's to warn you that an army's coming. If I blow the trumpet, it's to tell you disaster is on the way. Prepare yourself. Don't run from it. But if I don't blow the trumpet, I will be guilty myself. If I'm on the wall and my job is to blow the trumpet and I don't blow the trumpet, I'm guilty myself of your death. I will be held accountable for you, Leslie, if I don't blow the trumpet and warn you. Which is a weird thought. A weird thought is this. Will God hold you accountable 
when you stand in front of him for all the people you worked with that you never sounded the alarm that something was coming. And I'm not talking about wrath. I'm talking about eternal life. Could it be that God wants you and me to be the watchman? Well, I have to stand in heaven and go, Mark, I put 42 people in front of you and you didn't sound the alarm. They were on their way to an eternal lake of fire and I put them in your life every day for 15 years, Mark. You worked with them. You ate with them. You talked with them. You went on dates with them. But you never said a word, Mark. All you talked about was yourself and your money and your job and your your hobbies, but you never one time told them about life and me and judgment and what I've done for them. So therefore, Mark, their blood is going to be on your head. It really makes us blow that thing of, oh, I'm just not an evangelist. I don't feel comfortable talking to people. But if you know... If you really believe there's a hell out there, if you really believe there's a devil, wouldn't you sound an alarm? At least to your best friend. At least to the person you sit next to every day. Or are you just going to be the silent Christian? Well, I just hope they pick it up. He says you have to sound an alarm. You have to blow the trumpet, Ezekiel. And if you don't, I hold you guilty. But if you do blow it and they don't change, if you do blow it and they don't repent, if you do blow it and they don't, and they don't turn from their sins and get ready for war, well, it's not your fault. They cannot blame you, Leslie, if you blow the trumpet. They can only blame themselves. Their sin will be on themselves. Well, now, if God would hold Ezekiel accountable to blowing a trumpet before disaster, would he not hold himself? So the beauty of God is he would never ask Jennifer to blow the trumpet to warn her neighbor that before he destroys the earth and all its people, he will sound the trumpet as a warning. And as we get into the chapters ahead, we will find out with all the disaster and warnings that God gives in those trumpets, people refuse to repent. They will not repent. He blows a trumpet, they don't repent. Disaster. He blows a trumpet, they don't repent. Disaster. He blows a trumpet, they don't repent. Seven times. Blows a trumpet, they don't repent. Disaster. They refuse to come to him. But they will never be able to stand in front of him and say, you didn't warn us. Because he will say, I did warn you. I blew a trumpet before every disaster. And that trumpet was to tell you there's something coming. Come to me. Come to me. I'm here for you. You can come to me anytime. And yet they refuse. So the trumpets that are going to be blown, the seven of them, the blast of the trumpets are in reference to God is the watchman over humans and the earth. And now he's calling us to account. He's no longer going to use the church to call people to account because now your life is the trumpet. Your mouth is the trumpet. Your testimony is the trumpet. But if the church is removed for the wrath and is no longer the voice of God on earth to warn people, then he sounds the trumpet. He still keeps his word. Right now, you are the trumpet. Right now, we are the voice. Right now, we are the sound. But when we're removed, he will still blow the trumpet because he's the watchman over humans and the earth. Number two, God uses a trumpet to give a warning that your blood is now on your head. That's Ezekiel. If you don't warn them and they don't listen, the blood's on their head. They've rejected the son, the lamb on the cross. Now the blood's going to be on their own head. They had a chance for the blood to be on the head of Jesus but they rejected the blood on the head of Jesus, so now the blood comes on their own head. That's Ezekiel. The third one, the trumpet sounds because there'll be death for iniquity, and it's now certain. God is not holding back anymore. The period of time of, of grace is gone, and now judgment has come. And the trumpet sounds because now you'll get death for iniquity. That means sin, and it's certain. Number four, this was on down in Ezekiel. Pretty profound because it says that they won't be able to say God is not fair 
The trumpet sounds because God's way is fair in spite of what people think. And then the last one, he uses a trumpet to sign. And again, all this is in Ezekiel 33, but for the sake of time, I didn't read it all. God takes no pleasure in what is about to happen. So I want you to understand there's nothing about Revelation 8, 9, 10 that God's giddy about. But he has to do it to honor his word. He has to do it because he said rebellion deserves wrath. He has to do it because blood has to purify it. He has to do it because he needs to make it holy. He has to do it because he desires to dwell with us. And so God steps into Revelation chapter 8 with a silent moment to prepare us for what's about to come. And then he sounds a trumpet at every time to warn us. And here are the trumpet judgment warnings. These were in chapter 6 when we looked at them. Oops, sorry. You're going to donate in a minute too. Yeah, you'll donate in just a minute. This is all about an offering. So I'm going to leave that up there for a minute let you look at it. But that was, that was in chapter 6 when we looked at the wave of judgments. This was wave 2. But in every trumpet, one-third of the trees are gone in trumpet 1. One-third of the grass is burned up. One-third of the sea creatures destroyed. Ships destroyed. Trumpet 3, a third of the waters and the rivers destroyed with blood. Trumpet four, a third of all celestial bodies are darkened. Trumpet five, a five-month torment where nobody can die. Trumpet six, a third more people dead from plagues. I think we were up to about uh, right around nearly five billion people are dead on planet Earth by trumpet six. Uh, nearly two-thirds of the whole Earth is completely blood by the trumpet judgments and then the destruction of people who destroy the Earth. And this is wave two. And I believe God gave trumpets as the sign of these judgments because He wants you to know that at every one, before they happen, He's given you a warning. It's no different than a parent. Okay, I'm going to give you one warning, and I need you to obey me. So He gives a warning. They don't obey. He gives a second warning. And as we read on in the chapters ahead, you're going to find with all God's warning these rebellious children never turn to Him. Never repent, which is a profound thing. Let me pray for you, and then we'll end. Father, thank You so much for tonight. I pray, Jesus, that You open our hearts to have heard what needs to be heard, spit out what needs to be spit out, grow from what we need to grow from, chew the meat we need to chew the meat. And God, we do pray. I have no clue what's going to happen politically in our country, but I do know in both parties, the devil tries to work through politics. I do know he desires the political realm. I know he desires to sit as king over this earth. I know the devil is hungry for politics. He's hungry for power. And God, right now in our nation, he's working in divisive ways. He's working in hateful ways. He's working through political parties. He's using Republicans and Democrats to split God's people. He's using his wicked, deceptive ways to cause us to not care about the body like we need and care more about politics. So, Father, we just pray in our country right now at all the stuff we're going through, as they go back and forth with who cheated, who didn't cheat, who's the liar, who's the fake, who's this, who's that, who's cheating. God, I pray that we would be wise enough to know that behind all schemes of politics, there is an enemy that's trying to work a plan and that we would be smart enough to know to not be caught up in the demonic horde of stuff that's taking place in our country, but to be strong people of God, to be strong on the word, strong with what makes you pleasurable, strong with what hurts your heart, let it hurt our heart, strong on what bothers you, let it bother us. And God, we just pray for the future of our country. Lord, I do believe that in the end you are in charge, but that doesn't negate that we are not called to the war and we're not called to the battle to pray for our country, our presidents, to pray for our politicians. And so, God, I thank you. And now, Lord, for any woman in this room that's ever, God, taken a choice to abort a child, or I pray that they would never live a life of shame. They would never live a life, God, of regret. Because even in that choice, you, you are such a gracious Father. You are such a forgiving, loving Father that you would say in your grace, I forgive you. I forgive you. I, hold, I don't know who that's for, 
But I just hear that. I forgive you. I hold nothing against you. I have cast that as far as the east is from the west. Stop holding yourself guilty for the sin that I've already forgiven. Stop holding yourself shamed and regretful and allow my grace and my mercy to bring a healing and a hope and a joy. Now watch. Even though you may think I'm ashamed of what I've done, God can redeem what you've done. And the very child you may have thought, I didn't know. I, it was at a time of my life. God's already got the child. God's already got your future. And God's got a great day of redemption and rejoicing for you. Fear not. Don't know who that's for. Fear not. Fret not. He's a gracious Father. So Lord, I bless it. I bless this teaching tonight. May it sink deep in our heart. And may we have great grace in Jesus' precious name. And you shout amen. Amen.